Hello, I am Anika Orock, author of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and you are listening to the fabulous Baseball and Barbecue Podcast with Jeff and Len. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is... After I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. going to get in the game what's going on it is episode 64 and i am len averman and i'm here with the guy that should bat clean up every episode none other than my favorite co-host jeff cohen how are you len man am i excited when i when i hear that music all i can think about is just baseball barbecue you know the summer an incredible time and of course we're still basically in our homes for yep. the most part, but wow, that w- that's good. Episode 64, can you believe it? 64. And who do we have on the show this, uh, on this uh, episode? We have none other than two of the most, I would say most incredible uh, barbecue minds. They are, they're minds, they're like encyclopedias of barbecue. Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper. They are going to be starting off the, the show when they're done. And, you know, we have our next guest on. It's going to be none other than Brad Baluchian, is the author of a, of a book called The Wax Pack. Very popular book. Yeah. It's an amazing story. Right. How many publishers did he go to? A lot. A lot. <laughs> I forget. Perseverance, and he finally got the book published, and it's a really great baseball book. It really is. Very different. Yes. Very different. Very, very different. His book is called The Wax Pack, and of course, like I said, we've got Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper, and of course, they put out the smoke sheet, and they put out the New New York Barbecue. Right, New York City Barbecue, and they're just two great guys that we've been very fortunate to have met. Well, we never personally met Ryan, you know, in, in person, but we're just very lucky to have them on the show. So great episode coming up. Before we begin, Len, yes. I want to thank our friends over at baseballbbq.com who sent there us a couple, a couple of grilling tools, which they sent to you, and you so graciously gave them to me for Father's Day, which was last, uh, obviously last week. Depends on when you're listening to this, but it was <laughs> on June 21st, and I, right. I used them, and they felt great. It was a spatula and a fork, and I want to thank them for sending you, thank you, and you giving it to me. I just feel bad that, that you don't have now a uh, a set. So uh, I have nothing. Oh, but that's okay. 
and I, I wanted you to have it. Look. Well, thank they, you. They, they sent a fork and they sent a spatula. How can you have just a fork or just a spatula? They go together. They're a set. I could not split them up. That would be like splitting us up. Right. It just doesn't work. Well, I want to thank you, Len. And thanks, thanks for offering that baseball BBQ. And speaking of them, you can just go check out their, their website. And summer BBQ season is here. So show your love for all the grill and the game with baseball BBQ grill, grill tools. The patented baseball bat handle replicates actual wood bat dimensions and give baseball BBQ tools the familiar feel of a well-made baseball bat. And a stainless steel grill tools bring the features of more than a 5-2 player. For food prep, Baseball BBQ offers handcrafted maple and walnut cutting boards made in partnership with U.S.-made bat maker McDougal and Sons Bat Company, as well as T-shirts, hat, to show your passion for America's two great pastimes, baseball and BBQ. Baseball and BBQ is offering listeners of our podcast 10% off with the orders using the code POD10 at checkout. So for your outfit, outfitting your grill with, and kitchen or shopping for the perfect gift, go to BaseballBBQ.com and use the code POD10 and check out their, their selection. And now that you've used the tools and you love them, you can really endorse them, can't you? Yes, absolutely. They were, they were made, great. Made your food taste better, didn't they? It, oh, sure. Well, it, made my hand, it felt great in my hands, that's for sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're nice, solid construction. Yes. They're really good. All right, so... Let's get started with, with Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper. We're so glad to welcome back to the show Sean Ludwig and Ryan Cooper, true barbecue aficionados and two extremely nice guys who work very hard to bring information from the world of barbecue to the masses through their wonderfully written publications, NYC Barbecue and Smoke Cheap. Welcome. Once again, we're so glad to have you back on Baseball and Barbecue, Ryan Cooper and Sean Ludwig. Thanks for having us. We appreciate being on. Oh, we're so, we are, we are very glad. We're like fans. We're your fans. (laughs) All right. I have a bunch of questions for you guys. First thing, though, I want to ask, Ryan, how are you feeling? You good? I'm feeling pretty good today. It's every, every day is kind of different and, uh, this this week's been rough, but mm. but I'm doing pretty good today, and I'm excited to be on the show with you guys. So good, oh, yeah, we're very glad. Great spirits. So all right, so here we go. I'm not in no particular order, okay? But first, I do have to tell you that because I didn't write this down, I don't want to forget this. After we interview you guys, we're interviewing Ed Randolph, and here's oh, where nice. the connection is. Nice. There you go. Why is there a connection? Because Sean Ludwig wrote the introduction, the foreword to Ed Randolph's book, Smoked, which is a phenomenal book. So he's going to be our next guest tonight. And I just was like, wow, that's very, that's coincidence. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, like I, I've known Ed now for something like four years and I watched him like first, the first time I met him was I covered his competition team doing one of the New York comp- uh, competitions. And it was actually a really fun event. I got to meet, really get to know him and his team. And from that very simple, like just going and spending a few hours with his team, like 
I've now seen him develop as a pitmaster and as a businessman and as an author and just a, a genuinely amazing person as part of the barbecue community. So I'm very excited to hear your, your interview with him. Well, it's funny because as you have grown with your publications, and I think all of us are, are trying to grow our what we do, when Jeff and I first started this podcast a little over two years ago, the first episode, we didn't have barbecue guests. We talked about it was in December. We talked, we looked and saw what kind of uh, barbecue gifts to give. And we talked about those, you know, and, and how far we've come. Now we're having you guys on and Ed Randolph and, and multiple barbecue guests. So it's just, it, it's really great as your publications have um, expanded. So before we get lost in all the questions, why don't you tell uh, everyone the publications, how they can get them. We've spoken about them numerous times and how great they are. So give us some plugs early. Sure thing. I mean, I, I'll just do, um, you know, NYC BBQ really quickly. I'll let Ryan do the smoke sheet, but just NYC BBQ Weekly is a, a weekly newsletter about all things barbecue happening in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, kind of the tri-state and a little bit outside the tri-state area. And I try to, you know, basically chronicle all things that are going on in barbecue in the area, which is an un historically an underserved and underrepresented area for barbecue. You know, a lot of people think of barbecue down south and think of that as kind of the hub. And it's true, there are a lot of great barbecue capitals out there, but there's a lot of cool stuff happening up in the Northeast. And that's what I try to cover with NYCBBQ. So you can just find that at NYCBBQ.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at NYCBBQ. Um, and uh, or sorry, on Twitter at New York uh, New York BBQ and on Instagram NYC BBQ. And Ryan, Ryan, and then the smoke sheet is a weekly newsletter that comes to your email covering the world of barbecue nationally. So we not only tackle New York but uh, Texas, Kansas City, and every place in between. You can sign up for the newsletter; it's free. BBQNewsletter.com. You just need your name and your email address, and it comes every Wednesday morning. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and it's at The Smoke Sheet. We look forward to receiving that every Wednesday and every Friday, yep. and, and, and we do. So speaking of these publications, the pandemic that we're going through right now, it is definitely providing alternative topics, which you probably never envisioned writing about, but... Are topics becoming more difficult to come up with? So in terms of like the, the features that we do in, in the, at the very beginning, I would say absolutely not. In fact, Sean and I were talking before the show that it's, it seems like we have so many topics that we never even really get to them all. So it has never really been a challenge for us to figure out something to write about. I will say that since the pandemic has like pretty much taken over the news, I have deliberately, you know, talked to Sean about, hey, is there any way we could include some non-coronavirus news in here? And so that's been a little more challenging recently is, is finding stories that, that maybe don't have anything to do with coronavirus. And, and actually, in the last couple of weeks, it's been a little better where it's not like every single news story is about that, although it's still the vast majority are. But as far as like coming up with things to write about, it, it hasn't been a challenge at all. Sean, what about you? I think that, yeah, I generally agree with Ryan on that, that it hasn't been difficult to come up with topics uh, for the smoke sheet. 
I will say for NYC BBQ, I do think it's been a little more challenging because the, you know, all the, you know, we're in the hardest hit area here in the country and to, to try to write the newsletter as if that's not actually happening is really like, I don't know, feel like it would be untrue to what's happening in New York and the New York area. So I've really tried to incorporate what's happening, what joints are open, what they're working on as much as I can into what's going on in the newsletter. But I also think, you know, to Ryan's point, sometimes it's fun to have some content that's not that's not coronavirus related. Like mm-hmm. considering that it's just consuming so much of our psyche and our mind space right now, like having, I think I did one issue where it was simply about fun recipes that you can make at home. And I'm like, well, a lot of people live in apartments or don't have backyards in New York, the New York area. So like, why not? Here's like a fun thing you can do while you're inside. Make some of these fun recipes, see what you see what you come up with. And I just kind of, you know, I want to continue on with that, that, you know, not every week needs to be like X place ran out of business and it's doom and gloom, you know, because there's still like good stories out there good human stories and and just you know we still have a lot of great uh, barbecue joints some of them are temporarily closed mm. some of them are all just doing takeout and delivery but we still have a lot of great joints and we're wishing them well and some of them are actually delivering to the essential workers at hospitals and other places where they are needed to feed feed those people who are really helping the rest of the people who are sick so that's that's great news i just want to ask ryan on the May 6th issue of the Smoke Sheet, which is about photography uh, of food, but they also have features where you have watch, listen, and read. And I was looking at this for Chef Vivian Howard, who's down south. Could you tell me about her? Because I'm looking at she's she's smoking a uh, smoked mullet, smoked bologna. I've never ha- had those before. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that's a really, uh, it was a really interesting episode of this is a series that's on PBS called Somewhere South where she's basically Vivian Howard is traveling around the south looking at different food traditions and the the last episode of the the season this first season was about barbecue and so she's from North Carolina she's very well versed in North Carolina whole hog barbecue and so that's where the episode started and then from there, she went all over the place and uh, she traveled down to Florida where they had a smoked mullet festival, which was like completely new to me. I, I didn't know such things existed or anything like that. Then she traveled to Tennessee to a spot called Helen's Barbecue, which uh, Sean and I have both actually been to. And we've had the smoked bologna there. In fact, I, I think that was the, our favorite thing our favorite item that we had she kind of is known for her pork and her ribs but we had this smoked bologna sandwich and i that topped anything that that we had there um, i'm, I'm then, in agreement on that and it also yeah. it maybe it's one of the reasons we it was so memorable is because we don't really find that very many places not many yeah. places of smoked bologna so it's we did of, really we did really appreciate that seemed like kind of a memphis thing like we saw it in Memphis more than other places but and then in this episode Vivian Howard also traveled down to Texas and and met up with different pitmasters who were incorporating uh, Mexican traditions as well as Japanese traditions into their barbecues so it was really interesting it was a really neat episode I encourage everybody to check it out Len so I'm going to 
talk more about the pandemic, unfortunately, but what are some of the creative ways in which barbecue restaurants are staying open? They definitely have to come up with some things that might be a little outside of the box. Sean? I mean, I think that we've seen a bunch of different ways that barbecue joints have, have figured out, you know, ways to stay in business or ways to, you know, generate revenue during this time. Uh, we've seen some adopt kind of a, a grocery store or a market and they've added that as a component. So not only could you get takeout or delivery from them, but you can also get daily provisions. You could get raw meat or you could get sauces or you could get rubs or you could get even Hill Country in New York, you could get rolls of toilet paper as well. Yeah, that's what I, so, okay. Lots yeah, of right? toilet which, paper, is, yeah. which is cool, right? Which is yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> I guess like, you know, you never can have too much at this point. Apparently so. not. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to go get me some ribs and some toilet paper. So no big deal. Right. But anyway, so we've got the grocery uh, style approach. So adding a grocery store or market to your operations, a great idea. I've seen some places kind of change their menu. So they're simplifying their menu and then they're adding family style. So if you add bigger meals, right? So you could feed your whole family or you could just get it for yourself and it could be, you know, uh, several meals, right? You can have a bunch of barbecue leftovers and then you could take that barbecue leftovers and you turn those into other dishes or other things you can do with those uh, smoked meats. So I do think there's some really interesting things happening there. I mean, those are two big ones. Ryan, was there anything else you want to throw in there about, you know, how they're adapting new things? Well, what was interesting when you said uh, simplifying the menu, I've also found that some places like in Texas are diversifying their menu. So their menus expanded so that they have local people can come to their joint, you know, multiple times a week because not everybody's like us and wants to eat pulled pork or, you know, brisket every meal of every day for a whole <laughs> week. Spots like Regal's Barbecue in Houston, they're now adding hamburgers and They've always had a pastrami Reuben, but uh, a lot of places are adding hamburgers and pasta dishes and all sorts of other unique items that are, fall outside the traditional barbecue, just so that they can get repeat customers throughout the week. Nice. I mean, I think the, the lesson, the final lesson of that is every restaurant is different and how to maintain your customer base and how to engage with those customers as much as you can is going to be different for every restaurant. But I think like as long as you continue to stay creative and nimble, that's your best chance of making it out of this thing. Do you think that some of these places that are um, surviving on delivering and takeout might decide when it's all over that that's what they want to focus on and maybe not have a as big a space with eating inside, especially since it appears it's going to be a while before restaurants are going to be able to be fully booked or, you know, fully occupied. I would say it's probably pretty rare that you would focus just on that. If you have a beautiful, awesome indoor space and that's, you know, where you foster community and you get big groups of people coming, they're having nice meals. I don't think they're going to want to shift away from that. Um, however, if you were a place that doesn't have a large indoor space, you may decide that, hey, we've figured out, you know, we've really optimized takeout and delivery and we've made it work for us. So we'll continue to focus just on that. So it really depends on the place. But I would say that in the barbecue world, it's probably rare that you would cut down from having um, an indoor dining room. Yeah, what about these places where, perfect example is Franklin's, Aaron Franklin's place. And, and, and he's not the only one where the lines are, you know, countless lines. They, they line up early. 
I can imagine those lines would be even longer if everybody's spacing six feet apart with those lines. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and with uh, Franklin, we've heard that they've traded the uh, the long lines for kind of long, congested, almost like parking lots, you know, with people driving their cars up to get the takeout and, and things like that. I do know that Franklin did decide, even though Governor Abbott is allowing restaurants to open, Franklin's remaining closed for, and actually several places in Texas are, are going to go ahead and stay closed, despite the fact that they could reopen with 25% of their uh, in-dining in open. So um, for, Franklin's going to stay closed for now. While we're, while we're focused on Franklin, I mentioned it. Today, they, they mentioned the, the Hall of Fame semifinalists, the Barbecue Hall of Fame semifinalists, not baseball, everyone. Barbecue Hall of Fame semifinalists were announced. And I just want to know, the two of you, Jeff and I will talk about this on another show, but I want to ask you guys, I'm going to say the names quickly. Just Wait a second. But, Ryan and, and Sean should be on that list, right? No, they no, we should not. Missed. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just missed the cut. Right. We, we, we're further down than they are. So. <laughs> give, us, give us a few years. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So here, here they are um, in no particular order. William, Bill, Arnold, Joe, Don Davidson, Meathead Goldwyn, John Marcus, Desiree Robinson, Rodney Scott, Darren Worth, and Leanne Whippen. So, just, and you're missing one. Oh, who do I Aaron Franklin. <laughs> Aaron Franklin. Oh. Right. Well, I, I said, <laughs> right. You are right. <laughs> All right. So, Ryan, quickly, who of those nine, who do you think are going to be the three that get in? I think you're going to see one of the things that I know the Barbecue Hall of Fame is trying to do and, and frankly should be doing is increasing the diversity of the people that are in the Hall of Fame. When the Hall of Fame first started, it was very competition focused. It was very focused on Kansas City. And so you don't see a lot of diversity, unfortunately, in the Hall of Fame. So one person that I think should be in and was actually nominated and made the uh, semifinalist list last year is Desiree Robinson from Cozy Corner in Memphis. Unfortunately, I've never been to that joint, but I've heard just nothing but great things about it. And I believe she's, she's been in the business longer than anybody else on the list. So I could see Desiree definitely deserves to be on that list and make it in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think Aaron Franklin, just for the uh, diversity of things that he's done for the world of barbecue, he's, he's out of that list maybe the only person that your average person off the street might know who they are. You know, right. he's successful with his restaurant. He's had a television series. He's an award-winning author, uh, James Beard Award winner. He was on Barbecue Pitmasters. I mean, this the diversity of, of his involvement in the barbecue world. He should be in the Hall of Fame as well. And then I'm trying to think of who else might make it in there. Just because of the their focus on competition, I think, you know, somebody like uh, Darren Worth or Bill Arnold, who those they're very, very active in the competition world. Bill Arnold has the blues, blues hog sauce that everybody uses. I think for that reason mm -hmm. alone, it's the most award-winning sauce there is. Bill Arnold is probably a, 
a good candidate for someone who's going to make it in this year as well. But honestly, any of those nine can make it in and you'd have no complaints from me at all. They're all just stellar candidates. So, And none, none as far as I know, are steroid users. So that won't disqualify. I don't know them. about Meathead. He might. <laughs> yeah, Meathead, definitely. Yeah. I mean, come on. He a little, might, little he sketchy. Might. No, he's, he's good. He's a good guy. What do you think, Sean? No, I mean, I, I would agree. It would, it would be fine. Honestly, any of these people, again, would be, would be completely worthy to be in, uh, on the list. So I, I'm pretty much in, in lockstep with, uh, with Ryan. The only other person I could see on the list potentially getting, uh, sneaking in there is uh, Rodney Scott, who has been, you know, I think is one of the leading voices in Whole Hog bringing whole hog back to the masses. And then he's just been, you know, a really brilliant um, entrepreneur and trying to um, revitalize um, old spaces. And he's opening up another joint, I believe he's opening maybe his second one in Birmingham, I believe. Ryan, I think you can uh, (laughs) check me on that one. But yeah, anyway, point is, I could imagine him as well. But he also is, I don't think he's that old. So he could also be like next year. You know, yeah, that's the um, only thing with him is we're we're not finished seeing what he's going to do with his career. So I can see people that vote saying, well, you know, maybe he doesn't make it in this year, but in the future he will. Yeah. Jeff, when is the Hall of Fame announcement and uh, when do they do that? Do they usually do it during the American Royale or any KBCS event? When do they usually announce that? Are you talking about announcing the winners? The winners, or? yes. The, the three nominees will be announced in three weeks on the uh, Barbecue Central uh, show, but the actual induction takes place in at the American Royal in Kansas City, and that'll be uh, third week in September. So they'll have right. a, a poll ceremony, and um, they'll announce those people in front of the entire crowd, and it's pretty great. I've, I've got to go to that a few times, and it's really wonderful. So as of now, it's still scheduled, I would assume. Yes. Um, okay. In fact, when they announced the, the, the semifinalists today, they said, as of right now, everything's uh, on schedule, and, but they're going to you know, obviously play it by ear to see you know, what kind of festival really takes shape. Is it simply going to be a competition, or is it going to be the big festival with public involvement that mm-hmm. we're used to from years past? Speaking yep. of competitions, you, obviously they're – have been canceled or postponed for now, but there, there's trade shows, there's conventions or whatnot. I'm assuming they're still going on, and if they are, are they, are they doing through like a, a Zoom meeting like, like we are right now? Tell, tell us about that. Is that still going on, just the trade association stuff? I mean, right now, the event landscape is, I think, fairly clear for the summer, just from things that have been uh, scheduled. But in the fall, you've got a lot of different kinds of events. So you've got competitions, you've got consumer facing, you have trade show type stuff, but that's all now pretty much been scheduled the fall or completely booked in 2021. So as for virtual events, I believe there's only been a handful of virtual events that have been announced so far, but we fully expect to see more. 
Like I think right now that virtual events generally are becoming kind of a, a new creative thing that a brand or an event can take advantage of. If I can't have something really fun and have everybody come in person, I could do an online thing and get hundreds of people to come hang out and do some kind of competition or do some kind of panels or something like that online. But I do think we'll see more of that, honestly, I, especially if anything else gets canceled or postponed. I could see more virtual events coming up. Yeah, we saw, well, Jess Pryles just did a hardcore carnivore, right? She just did a, a cooking thing on uh, Saturday. Um, it wasn't, it was, wasn't an event that was canceled, so she did that, but she cooked online, on, I think on Facebook, where people could cook along with her. So people are getting creative with all these, with all these things. Yeah, last week they had an event in North Carolina, I think it was, and it's an annual event that's taken place for years and years, but they decided to do a virtual festival rather than just canceling it outright. So Tuffy Stone did a cooking demonstration and they had all sorts of um, like barbecue uh, demos and they had music videos and things like that. So I think you're going to see more of that. And, and there's, there's already been a lot of virtual competitions that I've seen online, both uh, KCBS and steak and things like that, where you're basically, you're showing your dish and you're describing it to the judges and you're talking about your recipe so it's everything except for the, the, the taste and tenderness and all that. It's kind of like a visual and descriptive uh, competition. So appearance really matters in that case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The other thing that I saw that's really unique in terms of that you can't just like pre-cook your, your dish and make it look beautiful. They make you, they'll like make you put some little thing there so that they know you cooked it right then that mm-hmm. weekend. So let, I, I was I saw this photo of a beautiful dish and it had a little a dime or something sitting there and I was like what's that all about? Well, that was one of the rules was you had to put a dime there so that they knew you cooked it that day rather than you know this is a dish you cooked two years ago that was award winning or something like that. I thought that was really unique. Guys, we're about to have or we're in the midst of actually a meat shortage. I know you guys did something in uh, one of your publications about things you can cook other than meat? You want to give some suggestions on what people can cook other than meat? I mean, generally speaking, I think you can always, well, you can always look for seafood out there. If you want Mm. to do some smoked seafood out there, that would be good. I I don't think we have a seafood shortage, at least not yet. So (laughs) we'll see. I mean, 2020 has been a heck of a year. So we'll see if we have any other shortages. Right. Um, you could also put um, any kind of veggie on the grill, honestly. I think you can always do some interesting things with that. And then I know that it's not like necessarily the most interesting or hottest thing anymore, but you know, we've got um, you know, those companies like Beyond Meat and mm-hmm. um, companies like that where meatless meat and you could you could mess around with that and you could try smoking it. You can try making burgers and things like that. And I actually did have my uh, my fiance surprised me by making some beyond meat patty melts and it was actually pretty good so i will say i mean um you know i i it wasn't like you know super planned or anything that we we had thrown around that idea and then she surprised me by making it and i think it's a, a really fun thing to mess around with i mean like i'm not like the biggest fan of beyond and and impossible and whatever but it's 
you know, if you if you really have no no meat in uh, you know at all, and that's your only thing, why not mess around with it for a little bit? I right. Mean, I do fully expect this meat shortage that is happening to be a temporary thing. It's about adjustments in meat processing. Like we, we don't, we're not out of cattle. We're not out of right. things. We, we have plenty of them and it's just about the, the capacity of meat processing. So as they make adjustments for safety and just industry adjustments, like they are, I think going to fix it. They're going to figure out how to deal with this. But unfortunately, given the, the contagiousness of this disease, the current way that these plants are operating is not good for, you know, business is not good. Business is not good for safety. So they're making those changes. And I think when those changes are made, we will get back to sort of more normal operating procedure for how we get consumed meat in this country. But for the short term, meat prices are going to go up and it's going to be harder to find the cuts that you want to get. So that's just how it is. What about online? Some places online. If you wanted to get meat online, I mean, I think Ryan could probably talk about some of those cool mail order places where you can get some delicious barbecue sent to you. Yeah, you could you could definitely get some barbecue sent to you from multiple places all over the country. If you're looking for, um, you know, already cooked meat, you could go to 17th Street Barbecue. I've had food sent from them. Hutchins Barbecue in Texas. Snow's Barbecue is actually, I think they have the some of the best prices despite the fact that they're number one on the list. So in terms of already prepared barbecue, there's tons of options. And then if you're looking to order some raw meat, you know, that you're going to cook yourself, there's also lots of options. You, you could go direct to one of the farms that would supply meat. 44 Farms in Texas is an example. Um, there's Snake River Farms in Idaho. And there's also a, a number of really great specialty butcher shops as well. In New York, I think the big one is Lobel's of New York. They apparently have amazing steaks and, and beef, and but you can probably get all sorts of different cuts of meats from them. So there's definitely no shortages of, of places that you can order from online. Right. I would also just add that you should go check out your local farmer's market. Honestly, you might be able to find better cut selection. You're supporting local business. You, there's a lot of local farms out there that have, you know, excellent meat and you can get it, you know, it's locally sourced. It's going to be more fresh. It's going to be probably very good quality. The thing about it is that there's, we, we have this problem at the, for meat processing at the very highest the biggest you know, level and the, the most big corporations that are doing this, well, try go supporting your local farm and see if you can get right. some, uh, some meat from them. Yeah, and I would also add to that to go to your local mom and pop butcher shop, their supply chain, that's going to be a lot shorter than like a Costco or Sam's Club or something right. like that. Um, they're not going to run out of meat and you're going to be supporting someone locally. I've never had any problems finding anything at the local butchers that I go to here in Omaha. So check them out for sure. And there's always mac and cheese and baked beans. That's right. right? <laughs> you know? And I will add that the last thing that I made on my smoker was actually, and it was beautiful and it tasted amazing. It was a blueberry peach cobbler that I made in a cast iron pan on my smoker. I'm going right. to be doing all sorts of non-meat dishes. If it's going to taste as good as that did, it was really 
fantastic. Very nice. I see we're running low on time. How, how can people get in touch with you? Not, not just subscribing to your great newsletters, but your Facebook pages, Twitters, and you want to plug, uh, please do so. Sure. The way. I think just for uh, NYC BBQ, yeah, Instagram and Facebook, it's just NYC BBQ. If you want to find me on Twitter, um, it's my, my name at Sean Ludwig, or you can uh, at New York Barbecue. You can find me uh, on other platforms as well, but those are the, the primary ones. Ryan, you want to give the, the smoke sheet and BBQ Tourist a plug? Sure. The smoke sheet's going to be on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the smoke sheet and then barbecue tourist you could find at bbqtourist.com and at bbqtourist on facebook twitter and instagram so check check us both out there's no reason not to i mean it's you get wednesday and friday and it's articles and pictures and recipes it's great and, and it's a great bargain because yeah it's, it's free. absolutely free absolutely free Right. Today was Wednesday and I got and I saw you had the uh, the feature on barbecue pictures and I got it before lunch, which I'm a little pissed about because I was starving. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. But it was I mean, it was great. And and it was just something. Oh, wow. Look at this. The whole thing on barbecue pictures and just it's very enjoyable, guys. Love those publications. Thank you. We thought that the barbecue photography uh, issue made sense given a lot of people at home with a little bit more time and maybe they're doing a little bit more cooking. So maybe they might want to take a few photos of their work. And here's a few things you can do to um, maybe get some better shots. Well, we appreciate you guys coming on as always. Right now, I'm counting the time till the next time you come on because I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Can't wait. Thank you very much. we're We're looking forward to it as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our thanks to Sean and Ryan for coming on our show. They're always great friends of our show, right, Len? They really are. Just there's not a there's not a barbecue question that you could ask those guys that they won't know the answer to. Yeah, they may make something up. And <laughs> right? <laughs> no, they, no, they really, really very knowledgeable. It's just a, a lot of fun talking to them about barbecue. Hi, this is Wayne Radazzo of the WCBS Mets Radio Network. And you're listening to Baseball and BBQ. And right now is our next interview with Brad Beluchian. And that one's a lot of fun, too. So here's Brad Beluchian. Our guest enjoys baseball and a good road trip. So what else could have made him travel over 11,000 miles in 48 days to meet the random players from a pack of cards, many of whom were his childhood idols? Brad Beluchian is director of the Natural History and Sustainability Program and teaches biology at Merritt College in Oakland, California. He's also a freelance writer and has published articles in Rolling Stone, the Los Angeles Times, National Geographic, Slate, Discover, Smithsonian, Natural History, Nova Next, and Islands. His next stop on his road trip is baseball and BBQ, and we are so glad his journey has brought him to us. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Brad Beluchian. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jeff and Len. Hopefully I'm saying your name right. I usually check with our guests before, and I know in your book you even mentioned that your name gets butchered. So am I yeah, saying it right? Me. I butcher it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Beluchian. Yeah, he's pronounced all the letters. It's all, it's all there. 
<laughs> Sell them all out. So, Brad, this was a, I, this was a terrific book. I really enjoyed reading it, taking, taking the road trip along with you. It was, you know, you open, wait, what did you just open a pack of cards and these are the, the, the fellows who were in it? And he said, yep, let's go check them out, take a road trip. Is that how that came about? Yeah, I mean, it was a little, a little more thought out in the sense that I always wanted to know what happened to the players that I grew up collecting as with their baseball cards that where are they now theme and i liked the idea of using a pack as a device to get a random sample of of players and i thought you know we get 15 cards in a pack that's a manageable number um, you figure 15 chapters in a book so it seemed like it was just really conducive to to using as a device for a book and for me doing it as a road trip would make it that much better because I, so my first job out of college was working for a travel magazine called islands. And so I had some background in travel writing and I kind of wanted to do a book that combined travel with memoir, with baseball in this sort of mashup of genres. And so to me, while I could have just, you know, written about the player's, from the comfort of my own living room and tried to call them on the phone. I think I, I thought it would be a much more entertaining book and a better book if I could get on the road and turn it into like the ultimate road trip quest. So we are, this whole, as I said, we had technical difficulties in the beginning and now we didn't even give the name of the book. And that's terrible. <laughs> that's true. That's right? true. Good, good point there, Len. <laughs> so, but it is fantastic. It is called The Wax Pack on the open road in search of baseball's afterlife. 15 picture cards, one stick bubble gum. This is the book. Loved, loved so much of this book. If everything you say is true, and I believe everything you say, doing this from your living room might be impossible because from what you're renting, it sounds like you may not even have a living room. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. All right. It's not mine. I, I, I rent a, well, I still rent a room in a house in Oakland. So I have access to the living room, but okay. <laughs> there you go. technically my living room. So that's a good point. You know, Brad, one of the things that was so relatable about this book, and we have, we have so many authors on and, you know, they, they all write fantastic books, but what I can really relate to with you was the fact that you just, you didn't have a contract when you went out. You, you know, you didn't have a book contract. You did something on a, almost on a whim. I mean, you planned it, but right. it was on a whim. You took your old Honda Accord. You yep. did this road trip. You brought a couple of buddies. And, and I related because Jeff and I, with, with our podcast, we're basically, we always say we're two schmucks with a podcast. <laughs> and when we started... We actually, our first guest, and this is a connection that we have, our first guest was Bob Kendrick. Oh, wow. Sure, yeah. He read it in the book. Yeah, he actually, I mean, I actually stopped in the, at the Negro Leagues Museum, and he gave me a whole tour. I, I didn't actually end up putting that in the book, but yeah, that was a fantastic afternoon. So we, he was our first guest, and, and we were shocked when we got him, and now we, we think the world of him. Yeah. Um, and then... We didn't know if we'd ever get a guest again. And now, two and a half years later, we're getting some wonderful guests, you included. But we were in the same position as you. You know, you, you were nobody as far as the these people, right? 
and yeah. you were able to get interviews and sit down with these players, which is fantastic. So I can really relate to you and, and what right. you went through. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I was trying to capture in the book was that, you know, it, I think it, I, it actually benefited from me being an outsider that even though it was harder maybe to get access to certain people because I didn't have any special connections, the, the story, the, the writing, you, you know, it, it, because it, I didn't have any special connection, the struggle was very real and the reader can feel that as I describe the challenge of every part of the process. And I always looked at the type of book I wanted to write as being that literary nonfiction, narrative nonfiction, where I was basically serving as a proxy for the reader, because I knew that there were so many people out there that would relate to the baseball card aspect and, you know, having collected these cards, but also the themes. I mean, the book really is not so much about baseball as it is about risk-taking and vulnerability and fear, their relationship with fear. And these are all things that every single human can relate to. And so that was my goal was to, was for the reader to emotionally invest in the players and in me as characters because they could relate in some way to what I was describing. Right. I, I mean, you mentioned risk-taking and, and things like that. And I don't know if I would have had the guts to go into a country club posing as someone who's going to buy a house looking for a player who just may or may not be there. That took a right. lot. I give you a lot of credit for that. That took a lot of guts. <laughs> hey, yeah, I was pretty scared. <laughs> I mean, that, it wasn't easy. I mean, it's, you know, it's a fun chapter, but it, it wasn't easy to pull that off. I had to kind of like, you know, get myself up for that. But, but yeah, I think that's one of the, I mean, in many different ways, like the, there's the risk. I mean, that's sort of a very obvious example of taking a big risk, but also, as you were saying earlier, taking the trip without a book deal, investing my own money, you know, the players taking the risks, the risk of just opening up and being vulnerable and sharing some really personal things with me. That was an example of, of risk taking that, that they assumed. So, um, so yeah, I think that, that comes across as a, a major theme in the book. It seemed that most of these guys were good enough, gracious enough to meet with you. Uh, I'm going to name a couple of Rance Mullenix's was seemed like you very easily to get in touch with Steve, Steve Yeager and Jamie, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. It's a Jaime Kokenauer. Yeah, that's right. All right. You spent some time with them. They seem very, you know, as you were describing in the book, very down to earth that you spent some time with them. Uh, other guys kind of like uh, like a jerk, like, like Vince Coleman, you know, you know. <laughs> I just I do. flat out said, no, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even get to sit down with him. So right. Uh, but, you know, it's probably you no know, coincidence that the guys that generally were the bigger stars were the harder to access and arguably less happy in their post-baseball lives. Now, Jeff and I, so we live on Long Island, and you came into Westbury. Right. You went to Doc Gooden's house, right? Right. And, and it's so funny because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, wow, if I knew him then, I would have invited him over. <laughs> he could have yeah. stayed here for the night, you know, because right. I'm like, as I'm reading, I'm like, it just, it, it, it's like, I can really relate to this guy. I, I, Jeff and I would get along well with him. <laughs> so, but 
one of the things when, when you're talking about Doc Gooden and the fact that he was a no-show, yeah, I remember when that happened. That was, you know, he, he had the relapse back then. That was, yeah. you know, as you're describing it, there, I was like, that. I remember that. Well, it was really uh, weird timing because when I was there, I remember looking online and seeing an article just from a few days prior where he had no-showed an appearance at some other event. Right. So that was... I mean, I didn't really know what was going on at first. And then I started to piece these things together. And then maybe a year later, they came out with that 30 for 30, that Doc and Daryl, which was being shot right around that time. And that documentary makes it pretty clear what was going on. So it was just, you know, a couple of months earlier, I would have probably had an audience with him. So it's, but then who knows? I mean, the way it worked out, I thought was really good getting to focus on his son and telling his son's story. Right. I mean, I'm looking down, like I said, the list here, and I know most of the guys. I heard of most of these guys. One guy I had not heard of was Randy Reddy. And okay. I looked him up, and he had a, a decent career, 13 years, yeah. you know, no slouch. Really good hitter. Yeah, yeah. So could you tell us about your meeting with him? Yeah, Randy Reddy uh, was probably the most – enjoyable guy of the whole pack just as such an easy guy to hang out with i mean i met him at a at a bowling alley and brewery in dallas where he was living and you know he had played for the phillies my favorite team and the padres then a bunch of other teams later in his career and what what i knew about reddy was that you know the, when i because i had done all this research on each player and one of the main things that stuck out was this really tragic story about his first wife doreen right. who basically collapsed of this um, stroke or heart issue when, when she was just in her twenties and ended up in a vegetative state. Right. And to me, you know, and then he continued playing baseball, but I didn't know what, whatever happened to her. So that chapter is that story leads off that chapter as a flashback. And then it sort of sets the, the backdrop for my meeting with him and my desire to bring it up but but my apprehension about bringing it up and not wanting to make him uncomfortable but but genuinely wanting to know the end of that story and so we end up hanging out and, and have a great time and um you know go bowling and then the next day we go to the gym together and we have a have a meal and it's sort of like uh, and that, it's a great experience but the whole time i'm sort of time's ticking away and i'm you know, the sort of there's this anticipation of I'm, when am I going to ask him about his wife? And so that chapter, I think, works on a lot of levels. It's a pretty good standalone chapter. And it just goes to show you how resilient a lot of these guys are. Because a lot of them, I mean, that's one of the themes in the book is that everybody has something, right? Everyone has some issue that they're dealing with. And that the issues that major league baseball players deal with are the same ones that we deal with. That that's another I think take home point is that we, I think I think that the reader ends up feeling more feeling closer to these players at the end because of who they are as people. No, not so much the baseball part of it, but it humanizes them, which I think is important. You know, there's something in the book about the shift between our view and relationship with players as you know fans when we're kids versus when we're adults. And, you know, when we're kids, I mean, the whole book is really couched in 
in something that comes from childhood, which is this, you know, love of baseball cards and seeing these guys as these larger than life, you know, megastars and heroes, and gods sort of on a pedestal. And then seeing those same guys th through the eyes of an adult and what that's like for me 30 years later. But ultimately, I think it's, it's, it tells you that it's not healthy for fans to, as adults, to over-fetishize these guys, right? That there's a, there is a certain, you know, vulnerability and humanity to them that, that we sometimes lose sight of as fans when we go to the ballpark and boo them or, you know, go on rants about this guy or that guy. And, you know, we, we sort of can get into a place of entitlement, I think, as fans that we have to be careful of. For our listeners who are not aware of this, um, they don't, baseball cards, they don't sell these packs anymore, right? They, they well, they sell, sell them as like, they're now in like some kind of tin foil paper and there, okay. there's like 10 cards okay. in a pack, but they gotcha. still, it's not quite the same. Right. So when, for anyone who can't relate to this or, or doesn't know exactly what we're talking about, you would go, you'd you know, give your 50 cents, your dollar, whatever it costs at the time, and you'd get this, this it was a, like a wax paper, and it was sealed, and inside was a stick of gum, a flat stick of gum, and you couldn't wait to go through the players and see who you got in the pack. Tops was the number one maker of these cards. And Brad, I, I, just in case it's not clear to people listening, he opens this pack, which I tell you, I can't even imagine not opening a pack of cards when I got it. So the fact that you had a pack of cards unopened. Well, actually, I, I didn't have it saved. I actually, I, I went and got it online because a lot of collectors okay. had gotcha. saved them okay. thinking they were going to be worth something. Yeah. Gotcha. So you'd open this pack up and Brad opened it up and the players that were in this pack, he did this road trip. So I, excuse me, I just want to be clear so that everybody knows, you know, he didn't just pick random players from whenever this is from a pack of cards and it's just it, it's amazing that the players that you met all right so what was a common theme with most of these players in in the book as far as family that you found well i mean a lot of them had fathers that were not great <laughs> just to put it mildly a lot of them had gotten divorced a lot of them had dealt with some kind of drinking issue almost all of them if not all of them had struggle with the transition of when they stop playing in their mid thirties, uh, because it is weird. There's no other career really where you are done in your mid thirties, you know, that you never can do it again. I would say that they, but they all, um, by and large, I would say had a really advanced understanding of their relationship with fear, which is something I alluded to earlier that, to be successful baseball players, you have to really live in the present moment and forget the past immediately and don't get hung up in the future. You know, so I call baseball players accidental Buddhists because they're, that's kind of, they kind of live in that present moment. Failure is such a part of the game that if you don't, if you aren't able to let go of failure, you're not going to last very long. So I think all of them were pretty good about you know, and there's that these themes that come up with like Don Carmen talking about how little we can actually control in our lives that, you know, we, our thoughts and our feelings come in, but really all we can ever control is our behavior and our reaction to our thoughts and our feelings. And, 
you know, kind of Rance Mullenix made the same point of, you know, just, he always focused on just control what's in my, in my very limited window here. I can't control what the guy next to me is doing. Let me just work on my own behavior. And so I think those guys used that way of living to be successful both in baseball and then out of baseball when it came to dealing with the struggles that they encountered with, you know, relationships and other issues that came up. Brad, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to ask him one and then you take it Brad. over. Brad, who was the um, player that now works for Scott Boris and uh, That's Don Carmen. The one Don I was just Carmen. Talking about. Yeah. So this, here's an interesting fact. So he's now doing sports psychology, right? Right. And you mentioned in the book, Harvey Dorfman, who was like right. the, you know, the originator or, you know, the started the whole sports psychology thing. And uh, the funny thing is, I, I actually worked with Harvey Dorfman's son years oh, ago. Wow. And you know, what happened is when he found out that I was a big baseball fan, and he said to me, um, he was, we were in New York, I think his dad was out in California or whatever. And he said, uh, said, you know, my dad is like a sports psychologist or whatever. And he wrote a book and he brought it to me and it was autographed by his, by his father. And I didn't think much of it because I thought, what, you know, what, until years later when all I would read is, oh, you know, Harvey Dorfman, the, you know, the guru of, of, of baseball psychology and, no. you know, and, and now I can't find the book. <laughs> and I'm looking all over for it. Yeah, Don, I mean, he was one of Don Carmen's heroes and mentors. And, you know, it was very clear how close he was to Harvey Dorfman. I think Harvey really gave him his second life because uh, Carmen was pretty confused, like a lot of guys when he stopped playing, got depressed and started drinking. And um, so he credits Harvey Dorfman largely with, uh, you know, his, his second act. One of the things that you said in the book was, difficulty with transitioning and you know I found it I know a lot of these guys they, they had trouble with alcohol when uh, Steve Yeager for example he hasn't touched stuff in what 20 years or 25 years I, you know that, that surprised me a lot of these guys that you that you wrote about had, had alcoholic problems that's that was very yeah. surprising to me I mean I know it happens in, in in life but you know just out of a sample of 14 15 cars you have you know I don't know half of them had, had drinking problems yeah, I mean, I think you also got to remember that these guys, the era they played in was different in that, you know, now all these guys are like, you know, they have their personal nutritionist and they have, they work constantly in the off season and they're measuring their body fat all the time. You know, they're, they really are, are in shape and have all the advanced, you know, back then these guys, you know, they would show up at spring training to get in shape. They were you know, physical conditioning was not really, you know, what it is now. And they would party, I mean, a lot <laughs> during, <laughs> during the season. It was like, you know, there was no social media. There were no cell phones. You go out, the guys would go out, you know, 12 of them would go out after a game to a restaurant or a bar and they would get to stay there after hours hanging out and partying, you know, and uh -huh. it, was a, it was a rock star life. And so I think that letting that go at such a young age then trying to go back to usually most of these guys were married and had young kids. And all of a sudden you're not on the road anymore. No one's asking for your autograph, you know, and you don't even know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. It, the easy thing to turn to is, is drinking or, you know, some mm -hmm. kind of escape. So um, I'm not, I think you'd probably find that as a common theme among anyone who's had the fame at a young age. All right. 
Now, let me go back to Don Carmen for a second, because if I remember right, he was from Oklahoma. Was yes. he, and you went to his hometown. Right, Camargo. Before you actually met him at a, I yeah. think you met him at a zoo or, or something and hung out with him for the day. And he, right. he didn't want to be in Oklahoma at all. I, he had a couple brothers that uh, stayed there. And he just had- Yeah, most, most of his family is still there. And, you know, he said like his whole goal is, as a child was to get out of Oklahoma, no matter what. And baseball was his ticket out. But, you know, it's a very, I mean, small town, Western Oklahoma, not much going on. You know, not not a lot of you know. I mean, it's just I could see why he why he wanted out. He uh, he never turned back. Some of these guys end up back in their hometown. Yeah, right? Rance Mullenix ended up back in Visalia. Richie Hebner is still in the Norwood, Massachusetts area. Rick Sutcliffe still in the Kansas City area. So yeah, I think you know a lot of these guys. And that was you know where I could. I wanted to visit where they came from and like without with Al Cowens who's the one player in the pack who had passed away obviously I couldn't interview him but I was able to go to Watts in LA and, and Compton and and kind of retrace his his childhood and talk to his cousin and his son and still tell his story by describing some of the places where he he grew up you definitely can't be shy writing this book and the book well, the book is called The Wax Pack, On the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. But when I say you can't be shy, I mean, you you made calls, you inquired about people, you just, you, right. you had to. You, right, you, well, you, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know, there was an enormous amount of research that went into the book, but it's not research in the way that a lot of books use research, right? I mean, in the sense of like, a lot of, a lot of, books about baseball or you they're done through library research right but the kind of i mean i did a lot of library research too but a lot of my 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 research was on the road you know meeting people that sort of participatory journalism and what i discovered in writing the book was that that's really where i that's my wheelhouse of writing you know i was actually encouraged and pushed by editors and agents when I was trying to get a book deal to not do it that way. You know, they were saying, oh, no one wants to read about you. No one, no one knows who you are. You know, you don't have Twitter followers. And, and why don't you just make it more about the players and about baseball? You know, I, I've been pretty active talking about that on social media. About, I mean, the book got rejected, you know, 38 times. You know, the, end, the, the deal that I ended up getting, you know, five years later was very little money because the gatekeepers in the publishing industry, you know, didn't see that I could pull it off or didn't see the vision that I had, which, and, and admittedly it was ambitious. You know, you go to a publisher, most baseball books are, you know, it's about a, it's a biography or it's about a team or about a player. And I come in, you know, again, without the sports writing credentials and say, Hey, I want to do this thing where I like write about myself and these players and, by the way, most of these players were not not big stars, and I'm going to go on a road trip. And so I think they were just kind of like, uh, okay, this is, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. Boy, <laughs> so, were they wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what person, you know, you know, want to meet your, your, your stars, you want to go out, you know, your, your, your players, and, and just go on a road trip and, and meet them and, and see what it's like. I mean, you know, I thought your book was fantastic. And you actually get into uh, some real personal stuff. I mean, yes. from Rhode Island, you talk about your parents, 
your OCD, right. your, uh, you, met, you, know, you met your old girlfriend on the road there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really took us into your, your life, and we really, we really went on this journey with you. Yeah, well, I, thank you. I mean, I, I always thought that my character was essential because you needed some glue for all these players. Otherwise, it's like 14 different magazine profiles, right? So, right. you know, again, you could write this book and just, again, I could have just interviewed guys on the phone and said, okay, here are 14 guys and here's what they did, right? And, but it would not have had, it would have not have held together as a narrative, nor would the guys have opened up if you know, I wasn't meeting them in person and doing all the, I mean, that was the other part was I was very active doing things, you know, going and getting a hitting lesson and going to the zoo and going to an art museum and playing board games and all these things that you could never do remotely. And come, but, you know, Brad, with, wait, come, come for movies with uh, Templeton, uh, Gary yeah. Templeton. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, I really, I, again, I agree. I thought bringing your personal life into it was great. And I wanted to hear about when you met your ex-girlfriend, Kay. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, there is one thing in the book. You talk about an adventure that you had in Vegas. Now, it wasn't during this road trip. It was right. a prior adventure. But Brad, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You broke, you broke the code, Brad. I did. I did. You're right. You know, <laughs> I certainly did. Yes. You're a yeah. wild man, though. <laughs> you are a wild man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. No one's pointed that out yet, but you're right. <laughs> well, that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. That's, that, that's why baseball and BBQ is cutting, we're cutting edge. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, you mentioned Richie Hedner earlier, and that was a very, I guess, sad chapter for me because the way he, him and his family had him falling out, and they, they proximity-wise, they're close in, in the area, but they don't get along, and that was felt very sad when I read that. Yeah, that was sad. It, it, so Dennis, his brother, who I spent some time with, you know, that, that was one of the few times in the book where someone told me that something was off the record because he he did tell me the details of his issue with Richie and it really even if I told you it's not like anything exceptional it's just we all it's just family stuff you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, and so so I but it's interesting I uh I asked Dennis so I sent Dennis and Richie copies of the book and I had not heard from Richie I have talked to Dennis a little bit and you know Dennis said that he 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 liked it but he said something like oh i talk too much or something like which is always what dennis says because he dennis does talk a lot even in the book he says like my kids say i talk too much you know but i think i think i asked him like did you did you talk about it with richie and he's like no and i'm not i don't plan on on talking about i mean did i ask him did you talk about the book with richie because i talk in the book about their you know allude to their their disagreement and he said no i'm not going to bring it up so like that's I mean, there's a lot of guys like that, right? There's, I mean, I've got family members like that where it's just better not to talk about it. Let it, let it go unspoken, unaddressed, unresolved. And so that's kind of, uh, yeah, I think that's a little bit, a little bit uh, somber that, you know, that chapter. Yeah. Brad, in the book, you said, this is a quote from you. So I just want you to, um, to talk about it. Everything changes except for this one constant. As long as you're breathing, you will always have whatever is right in front of you to make it count. Mm-hmm. You want to just uh, talk about that? Because I thought that was fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, no, I think that gets at, back to that idea of baseball players being accidental Buddhists. 
I think that one of the lessons in the book is that we we get into we get into trouble a lot of our stress in life comes from when our when our mind is dwelling in the future or in the past right if we get hung up on what happened in the past which we can no longer undo we can get stressed and if we get i mean by definition a lot of our our stresses are are things that may not even happen right they're about anticipating things that could happen in the future but until the future is here you don't know what's going to happen so to me like what the the I, I talk about ocd in the book and which is an anxiety disorder and a lot of the treatment that i went through with ocd was was essentially learning to embrace uncertainty and learning to learning to there's that the opening quote in the book from helen keller which basically says that you know you're there is no such thing as as security or absolute safety you know that everything because everything is impermanent everything changes in life the more you attach to things and the more you cling to things the more unhappy you're ultimately going to be because those things are ultimately going to end and so whether you know for baseball players i think it's like that idea that quote is a reminder that that they do have this very special talent but it's very fleeting in the in the grand scheme of their life you know, they may play, you know, five, 10, 15 years, but they're probably going to live 80, 85 years. And so that quote is just a reminder that, you know, while you're in the game, enjoy it, you know, enjoy the, the present moment. I mean, I know Mike Schmidt, player for the Phillies, at the end of his career said, you know, he wished he had actually had more fun because he spent almost his entire career just agonizing over his mistakes and wondering about what was going to happen next. And he didn't really enjoy himself until his like last year of playing. I think there's the idea of, you know, appreciating the moment while it lasts, but also as these players are in, are in the game, they should be aware that there's going to be a whole nother life that comes next after they're done playing. And so they should also, you know, be ready for their sort of second life. And I think this book is, could be informative or instructive to baseball players, now current players, for what to expect or how to prepare for what comes next when you're done playing. Yes, well said. You spoke to, I think, 10 of the 14 players in, in the book. Which one was, which person gave you, was surprised you the most? Or what did you learn the most? Or, uh, you know, what, what, yeah, surprised you the most of, of all the guys you talked to? Well, I think back to Don Carmen, he was my favorite player as a kid. So that was the one that I was the most excited about. But also, even with my bias of him being my favorite player, I was really blown away by his the sort of depth of thought and his philosophy. You know, he really like he's like a, almost like a, like a little Zen master. I mean, the way he if you read that chapter carefully, the things that he shares is very profound. You know, talking about you know, he says some line like uh, when you're when you're angry you're really just feeling sorry for yourself, which is a brilliant line. If you really, when you really analyze the next time you get angry, like it's, you're really just pitying yourself. So I think he's kind of saying like, you know, get over it, (laughs) you know, get over yourself. But also knowing how traumatic his childhood was and his father being so, you know, abusive, father and all that and then seeing how he came out of that and how he's dealt with that and now watching him be such a good father to his kids was a really uplifting 
uh, story. I, I mean, I think one of the things that comes out of the book also is how important it is, like how just how much your childhood influences the rest of your life and mm-hmm. what a, what an awesome responsibility it is to, to have kids. I mean, I don't have kids myself, but yeah, you know, I think it's just, it's so obvious how, how much you influence the people, you know, your own children. And that comes out in the book over and over again. Yeah. How disappointing was it that you didn't get to speak to Gary Pettis actually being so close I mean, I would, I would well, have... I, yeah, of all the guys that I didn't talk to, I'd say he was the one I was most disappointed about because I don't really feel like it was his choice. You know, the manager, A.J. Hinch, basically said, I don't want my coaches talking to the press. And I, with Pettis, I, I really wanted to talk to him because I taught at the school he went, the college he went to. I live in Oakland. I live really close to the high school he went to. I had actually, you know, gone and, met up with his high school coach and his college coach before the trip. And so, and I, you know, I thought his story was interesting in that he was, he was a guy that had been an overachiever his whole life. He was not highly touted as a, as a player in high school. You know, he got cut from two junior college teams. He was a late bloomer. And then, you know, he got so close in 1986 with the angels and then 2011 with the Rangers as a coach. So it was sort of like, I was curious how he, how he kept bouncing back from all those, all that adversity. And so I didn't get, I did, I did get to talk to his, his brother, which was illuminating and, and nice, but um, yeah, it would have been nice to, to hear, hear back from him. You never heard from him? Red. No, I never did. No. No. How long did it take you to find a publisher? You said five years. Was it five years? Yeah, well, so I took the trip in 2015, and then I didn't sign the deal with Nebraska till 2019. So really, you know, four or five years. I'd gone through two different agents. I actually ended up not even having an agent in the, in the end because uh, Nebraska is a pretty small publisher, and they don't require you to have one. Do you find anything surprising about yourself on this journey? I was surprised how much I ended up having in common with Don Carmen. I never really knew why he was my favorite player other than that he played for the Phillies and that I liked underdog players. And then to find out all these sort of parallels between the two of us was, was a little bit uncanny. You know, I, I talk a lot in the book about, and it's like, I was very conscious of not shoehorning an epiphany into the book. Like there's that temptation in publishing, you know, publishers want you to come up with like happily ever after and the big, <laughs> big ending, like eat, pray, love, you know, go on this quest. And then you find your, your love of your life. I always knew on a seven week road trip, I mean, you're not going to find, you know, the meaning of life in seven weeks. So I tried to be honest about that. Um, but I think that I, a lot of my way of looking at the world and sort of my life philosophy was, was reinforced by experiences that I had meeting the players and, you know, the thing with my dad and seeing my ex-girlfriend, I mean, certain amount of closure, a lot of time to think and reflect. And that idea that comes out in the book of not seeing the world in, in home runs and strikeouts, but, you know, that most of life really is, is something in between, you know, like or a ground ball to shortstop or a line drive to, you know, it's like, I think we, we, we fall in the trap of 
wanting the, these highs and these lows and, and getting kind of attached to that. And instead of realizing that, you know, it's more about how you, how you deal with the, the, the day to day. And so to me, that idea of not having, not getting overly, um, not having expectations that are, that are too big is, is an important way I think to, to live your life. Brad, the, here's probably the most important question of the night. What happened to the Accord, the Honda Accord? You still oh, have it? Right outside the front of the house. Yeah, it's, still, <laughs> it's now got 250,000 miles on it. Wow. wow. So it's, yeah. wow. And, so you, it's and, first. <laughs> and on your trip, you, you stayed in the best hotels, the lap of luxury on the whole way, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, wasn't that obvious? That... <laughs> the book is called The Wax Pack by Brad Balchukian. I get that, get that close enough, I, I hope. <laughs> but Brad, where, where could people pick up the book? I know you're part of the Pandemic Baseball Book, baseball yeah. book Club. You can go you there. Guys, you've interviewed some of the other, you interviewed Anika, right? We interviewed yes. Anika. We're going to be interviewing John Shea soon, who wrote 24. Okay. We had Jared Diamond on. Jared okay. Diamond. We're going to have Brian Wright on. Yeah, we, we, okay. yeah, we definitely... Yeah. Uh, we want to do whatever we can to to promote you guys because you. Uh, yeah. all the authors are fantastic that we've interviewed so far, and and you guys of course got a raw deal with this whole thing. I mean, <laughs> as you know, as we've heard, yes, of course, it's not the worst thing, right. Right. and we understand. But at the same time, to expect your book to have a launch party and to right. have in person things and. So we we try to do whatever we Thank can and you. yeah yeah uh, we also uh, also interviewed Jacob Kornhauser and, oh, and Mark Healy okay and yeah so we've right. been and it was just an accident that if they happen to be part of the pandemic book yeah, yeah. pandemic okay. baseball book club I want to say that right so tell us where can we pick up your book where can people pick up your book and yeah. uh, anything else if you go to if you go to waxpackbook.com all the links are there to get it at different places i mean basically you can get it wherever books are sold as they say and i know right now it's it's unfortunately been been out of stock because they had to reprint which is i mean a good thing and that they had right. to do another printing um, but it will be available again very soon if it's not already i'm on twitter at waxpackbook always like to interact with people so please don't hesitate to reach out. I have two more for you. Yeah. Uh, first, maybe I, I'm guessing that you calculated this. What, what did this trip cost monetarily? What was it was um, around seven or $8,000 overall. You know, that was gas, lodging, food, basically. Yeah. So, okay. you know, good chunk of change. And, but of course, oh, and... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew I said two. And what's next? What What do you have next that you're working on? Are you working on something? Not imminently. You know, when you do this kind of six-year thing, you kind of have to refuel the tank. I mean, really, I mean, so I'm a biology professor. Most of my writing is about science. And so I have ideas in that in that realm. And maybe some, nothing. I mean, nothing that close to the wax pack in terms of future stuff. But but yeah, I think whatever I do, I, I, I like this format of sort of being an active participant in the, in the story and sort of being on the, on the road, on the, you know, doing, being out and about and being active. So um, we shall see. Well, we hope that you will continue with your writing because 
again, this book is fantastic. The Wax Pack on the Open Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. Brad Baluchian, you have been a great guest, and we are so happy that you joined us on Baseball and BBQ. Thank you so much. Yeah, th- thanks, guys. Anytime. Always, always fun to chat, and I appreciate the support for all of us that uh, are doing baseball books right now. Thanks, Brad. All right. Take care. Take care. Who would have thought that a pack of cards would lead to a book like that? That's a, I really enjoyed that book. I think we pretty much let him know that. But, Jeff, you, you, you like that book a lot, too. Oh, right? yeah. It was very good. Very good. Yeah. Going out, chase, chasing all those players from that one big card, one pack of baseball cards. That's very cool. Going all over the country. Going all over the country. We also have to go away from that for a little bit, but baseball related. We have a new song from our uh, friends, uh, Shel Krakowski and Dave Dresser. They made yes. a new a new song, and we're going to end the show with that. So l- listen in. And speaking of that, Len. Why don't we tell people where they can get in touch with us? Our phone number is 816-855-8214. Email is baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Check us out on our Facebook page. Leave the comments. Our Twitter is at baseballandbbq. Our Instagram is baseballandbbq, where barbecue is all spelled out. Check us out on our webpage, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And check us out on, on YouTube as well, Baseball and BBQ. Yeah, leave comments, tell friends. I mean, it's amazing where, the places that we get listened to. Our last episode, we were listened to in Singapore, the UK, Canada. You know, actually, leave a, a write a review and leave a, a rating for us. That'd be great. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if they, they can, all our international listeners can leave reviews. Ireland, so please pass the word around. Yeah, we we could we could uh, maybe our podcast gets translated into other languages. Who even knows? Who knows? And with that, Lynn, we're going to leave you with a new song tonight by our friends Dave and and Shell. It's called Ace and Bobo. You can check that out on, on YouTube as as well because they have the uh, video and the lyrics. But here's the audio of Ace and Bobo from. Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski. See you next time. Enjoy.
心动。